Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you that you are here with us and that we get to lean into you every day. In your mighty name, amen. Amen. Awesome. You may take your seats. I'm glad we all got the uniform check tonight. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. It's good. Um, well, thank you so much for this opportunity, Pastor Jack and Carol. Uh, my name is Beck, for those of you who don't know me, and I'm the kids pastor here alongside my husband Isaac, and um, we have a lot of fun on Sunday mornings with your kids. Um, we love getting to preach and to teach them all about God. Um, it's such a privilege, and I'm used to doing big visuals and, and getting kids to dress up or visual aids or those sorts of things, but you all get to stay in your seats tonight, so don't worry. Um, but we are going to start with a story from the Bible because that's important. And so in 1 Kings chapter 12, it says, from verse 26, Jeroboam thought to himself, unless I am careful, the kingdom will return to the dynasty of David. When these people go to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord, they will again give their allegiance to King Rehoboam of Judah. They will kill me and make me him their king instead. So on the advice of his counsellors, the king made two gold calves. He said to the people, It's too much trouble for you to worship in Jerusalem. Look, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of Egypt. He placed these calves in Bethel and in Dan, at either end of his kingdom. But this became a great sin, for the people worshipped the idols, travelling as far north as Dan to, be, to worship one there. Jeroboam also erected buildings at the pagan shrines and ordained priests from the common people, those who were not of the priestly tribe of Levi. And Jeroboam instituted a religious festival in Bethel held on the 15th day of the 8th month in imitation of the annual festival of shelters in Judah. There at Bethel, he himself offered sacrifices to the calves he had made and he appointed priests for the pagan shrines he had made. So on the 15th day of the 8th month, a day he himself had designated, Jeroboam offered sacrifices at the altar at Bethel. He instituted a religious festival for Israel and he went up to the altar to burn incense. There's quite a lot in that story that we could unpack um, and we can't get through it all tonight, but it was quite a response from the king of Israel and from the people. And surprisingly, I want to talk about two things fear and courage. Um, so there are a few things that we want to look at tonight, but the first is I want to look at the two different people in this story. And I first want to just touch on Jeroboam um, and his perspective first. The four things that we kind of need to look at right now are the context around this story, because uh, there's actually quite a lot. When you look at it there, it could seem kind of random, but when you look at it all, it's, it's quite clear. The previous passage in this chapter is where the kingdom first gets divided between Judah and, in, and Israel. And so like any major people group or nation trouble, when it first happens, people would be in a place of unrest and the memory of what was would have still just be really fresh in their minds. I mean, we joked for ages about separating states during COVID and WA usually was the butt of the joke. Um, so imagine it actually occurring. You know, everyone is talking about it. Everyone knows something's up, something's different. They would speak of it in ways of, oh, when we used to go to Jerusalem, oh, when the nation was all one. It would be just in their common language because the division is still fresh. 
it probably felt like the people really could have just changed their minds and gone back to what was. And that would have been fine. It wasn't like it was generations down the line when they didn't know any different, didn't know any better. Um, This was a really recent move. It was so fresh, but it actually shouldn't have come to any surprise to King Jeroboam. You see, one chapter earlier, 1 Kings 11, it describes more about Jeroboam's history. That's really important to understand. Jeroboam was a servant in King Solomon's house. 1 Kings 11 verse 28 says, The man Jeroboam was very able, and when Solomon saw that the young man was industrious, he gave him charge over all of the forced labor of the house of Joseph. So we can see that Jeroboam had a knack for leadership. The king wouldn't have noticed him if he didn't. Um, and so the second most important thing that we can look at from 1 Kings 11 is that the king, King Solomon actually turned away from God at the end of his life. And so 1 Kings 11 verse 9 to 11 says, The Lord was very angry with Solomon, for his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who appeared to him twice. He had warned Solomon specifically about worshipping other gods, but Solomon didn't listen to the Lord's command. So now the Lord said to him, Since you have not kept my covenant and disobeyed my decrees, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your servants. Finally, Jeroboam had a prophet come and confirm what God had said to Solomon and told him that he was going to be the king and specifically told him why he was going to become king. And it says in verse 33, They have forsaken me. They have not walked in my ways, doing what is right in my sights, keeping my statutes and my rules. So Jeroboam, he is in the midst of the kingdom getting first divided. However, he's a capable leader who has been appointed not just by the people but by God. And he knew that the reason for this was because King Solomon turned away and didn't lead the people to God. Yet Jeroboam was fearful. This was a new power for him, a new position. He had every opportunity to follow God and live from a place of blessing and submission to God. However, he was so genuinely afraid of death and loss of what was now his that he didn't relinquish his control to the Lord and he chose a self-righteous leadership style. He didn't want to lose what was now his. He used his platform to influence the people to bow down to the golden calves instead of the true God. He self-inflated his worth and took matters into his own hands. Jeroboam was in a place of influence and importance. However, we all have places of influence and importance in our own lives and the measure of that influence or social importance or lack thereof is actually insignificant because we can all ask these questions. What do I, like Jeroboam, respond to out of fear? And how does this response affect the people around me? Jeroboam's life and decisions were severely impacted by his decision to do it himself. It was a huge part of generational fruitlessness because of fear. And I pray that in our lives we can make decisions to do life with God because the impact will be great, it will be generational, but it will be fruitful. (laughs) So good. So that's Jeroboam just in a nutshell, and that's just his life. But there were two different people in the story. There was the king, the influencer, and the people. And the people didn't have a culture of courage. They didn't. They just didn't. They had no courage. Jeroboam made mistakes, 
But this was a whole people group without courage. They didn't, just, they didn't actually have to bow down to the cows or the calves. That was a choice. Yes, the influencer set it up. The king set it up. He had his own personal issues to sort out. That was one man and why he did that. But they didn't actually have to say yes. People travelled far to bow down to the golden cows. Like, they travelled really far. I don't know. I find the closest parking lot spot to the front door. Like, I don't know how they travelled that far. They must have had a different strength. I don't know. I mean, distance is all relative. But what is really significant is not the distance that they walked, it was that their relationship with God wasn't strong enough and that they didn't have their own personal conviction to love him alone. That grit wasn't there. They followed the crowd and the influencer of their day. They bowed down to that cow like it gave them the breath in their lungs. They bowed down to that cow like it saved them from slavery. They bowed down to that cow like it was the most important thing in their lives, that it was worthy of time, sacrifice, devotion, emotion, and offerings. I, don't, I actually don't, don't know the word for it, but I don't understand how that many people could just ignore God all at once and bow to a statue. Like surely someone could have stepped up and said no. Surely someone could have known it wasn't okay when they were doing it. But they had no courage to walk the narrow road only to follow and bow down to the God in front of them. They were like sheep being herded into a pen of divided nations with King Jeremiah as their frantic, panting sheepdog. They were influenced by who they followed. And we can so easily be influenced too by who we are following to the point where we might bow down to the things that aren't God. Who are you following? How much of it is of a one particular topic or opinion? How much time does it compare with the time we spend with our Father? And this, this quote really got me a couple months ago. Uh, it says, Two to six hours is a typical amount of time people are spending on their phones and at least an hour on social media each day. So it used to be that you were a product of who you spent the most time with. These days, it's much more accurate to say you are a product of who you follow and who you've subscribed to and what you read online. Following Jesus equals products full of life, full of joy, full of blessing, not perfect lives, but lives enriched by God every single day. Idols are built and indulged by fear and it takes a culture of courage to stay standing when the world wants you to bow down. May we be people that stay standing when the world asks us to bow down or to be brave enough to make change and ask for forgiveness when we might be bowing down to something other than the God of heaven. The word calls us to be doers of the word and not just hearers. You see, the Israelites were just hearers of the word and they definitely didn't follow what the word had set out for them. Because it wasn't the first time Israelites bowed down to calves. And they would have known the story because they read the Torah cover to cover over and over. Exodus 32 describes a time when Moses was up on the mountain hearing from God, getting the Ten Commandments and the people didn't know what happened to him. They implored Aaron and they said, can you make us a cow? Can you make us something to worship? And guess what? The words King Jeroboam spoke to the people were the same that Aaron spoke maybe 500 years earlier. Exodus 32 says, he, Aaron, received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. Then they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. The people failed to see what God wanted, even though they had the word in front of them often. 
and we could hear the Israelites bowing down to cows and say, that sounds ridiculous. Of course, you're never going to do that. But let's be open to hearing God's whisper about our own lives because you might not even see it without his call. And I, who oh, I'm going to be all open and honest right now, but I needed to hear that too. I needed to know that I wasn't any better than people thousands of years before me. See, I have, I get to talk about her, I have the best little baby in the world. She's so sweet. Her name's Tali and she's seven months old. Um, I don't know if there's a picture because she's really cute. Look at that. Okay, that's all right. We can move on. That's cool. But I don't do well without sleep, okay? And I'm one of those people that function best at like nine hours of solid sleep, nice morning walk or something like that. You know, just doing life well and I'm not getting that any night. And most mornings I'm rolling out of bed, I don't know if you can picture it, but like Anna from Frozen rather than Cinderella with the mice and the birds helping me in the morning. But I have a really chill kid. She's really like Isaac. Like, she is smashed in the face with seawater the other day and she didn't even blink. Like, it was fine. She enjoys things messy. She's calm. She's cool. And she goes to bed actually quite easily um, and settles really quickly with the dummy and some cuddles. Yet sleep, researching, and primarily trying out routines, to, mostly to no avail, became a huge stumbling block in my own life. Because being informed as a parent is wise and asking for help and all of those things, but it wasn't what I was doing. I built an idol from the place of fear and indulged it by bowing down to it every opportunity that I had. For example, I taught a ballet class for one hour every Monday, three and a half minutes away from my parents' house. And the goal at that point was for her to sleep until five o'clock and the class was from four till five. So you imagine how that made me feel because I was gone from 3.45 to 5.15. And I would leave and I would nervously most weeks call Isaac and say, okay, I don't know what's going on. Is she going to be okay? I'd rush to the studio. I would rush out of the studio and I would be running back in just to make sure everything was being done right to the minute. And I would come in trying to seem relaxed. I don't know if it worked. But, but I was actually feeling sick in my stomach in case she would sleep two minutes longer than I asked for, which is ridiculous because it's two minutes. And there were so many days outside of that where tears would be streaming down my face because she woke up 30 minutes early in the morning and I didn't know what to do with myself that whole day on my own. Sorry. I was consuming, 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 and I was desperate out of a physical fear of tiredness and burnout, but also out of a fear of being viewed as a failure because the first question it felt like anyway was, how's she sleeping? Is she sleeping through the night yet? And I wasn't actually hearing the genuine interest or love or care. I was feeling like someone was just scaling me up to see if I was fit, you know, as a mum. And I know it does sound like a lot of anxiety and, and I hear that and I understand that and those sorts of things are real. But it was becoming an idol because, you see, I stopped reading my Bible when Talia was laying across my chest. Instead, I was Googling and scrolling through Instagram page after Instagram page to see the next best reel on someone else's sleep routine and see how they got their baby to sleep through. Where I was self-loathing and becoming sinful with shame and guilt about her sleep. Where I was becoming frustrated with a tiny human because she woke up 10 minutes earlier than planned. Where I was anxious and crying because I didn't want to go to church at night or serve because it would mess up my routine. God had become small and insignificant and unimportant when compared with the plans I had made for myself. 
Him being king in my life was forgotten because I had a plan devised from my own heart. I am grateful that God pulled me in about three or four months in when I questioned if I should go on the kids' encounter or come back to serving because it was really, really scary to me. But I heard his voice clearly. Who is your God? Routines or me? No, she's not sleeping through the night yet to answer your question. And no, not much else has changed. I'm pretty tired. That's fine. But God is more real to me than he has been before. And he looks, and it looks different now as I bow to him. Life is more fruitful, full and beautiful. For me, the idol of my today was sleep. The response was following a crowd, scrolling for answers, following the opinions of people. And it wasn't that routines are sinful because I'm sure there's many families in here that use them. It was the obsession and the bowing down to it rather than God that was becoming sin. The, my, by the grace of God, he forgives me. By the grace of God, he helps me on the days where I am tempted to go back to that, on the days where are nights where I get to the end of it and say, well, that went for five years and I'm tempted to just try the next best thing tomorrow. God helps me. But we need a culture of courage in our church family that not only lifts each other up to stay true to the Father in heaven, but encourages those who have their heads in the sand facing the wrong thing who doesn't shame their neighbour but lends a helping hand up. We need a personal revelation. What is it for you that is an idol or what in your life should you be aware of that doesn't become one? Where in your life are you influential? Are you leading from a place of fear or a place of trusting in God? Are we following the crowd of our today, the professional influencers regarding any topic, health, self-image related behaviours? Are we... The typical person on our devices for hours on end, scrolling rather than praying, consuming content rather than being consumed by the Holy Spirit. Is it something else like status, perfectionism, appearance, the type of house you have, the car you drive, fear of cost of living, video game sports, promotion at work, pleasing people? What is it that's taking up so much brain space that is becoming an idol? What are we willing to give time to, sacrifice for, devotion, emotion and offerings to it as though it is the most important thing in our lives, as though it saved you from slavery and sin? We can be free from fear in our lives. We can lead from a place of devotion, surrender and trust that his plan for our lives is good, unlike Jeroboam did. We can have a culture of courage and be people that bow to God only, no matter what the influence of our day or our life stage looks like. Whatever it is for you, give it to Jesus. He will help you through it. Don't hide. Don't ignore the stories like the Israelites did. Don't assume it won't happen to you. Don't be ashamed if something is currently more important or, more, or you're afraid to, in your place of influence, give it to God. He will help you. And when I reach my hands up and surrender to him, he meets me there. And I promise he will meet you there too. He doesn't want the golden calves in our lives to take over. God wants our lives to be full of life and to be following him alone. God wants our lives full of peace and joy by growing in the fruits of his spirit. God wants the church to be courageous enough to recognize our own failings and to do something about them and to be kind enough to love those who make mistakes because we know we are not any better and not immune to doing the same thing as generations gone before us. God wants you. He wants your life. 
He wants to enrich your world. He wants us to follow him only. Why? Because he loves you endlessly. He loves everything about you. The way you smile, the way you walk, the things that only you find amusing. Because he made you, this earth and everything in it. He loves us so much that he sent Jesus to die for us. He sent Jesus so that we could know him and understand him more a little bit every single day. He sent Jesus to die and rise and take the sin, the wrong, the evil from our days today, tomorrow and yesterday. And from there we can live in eternity with him. He wants our lives. He doesn't want us to be stuck in places of brokenness with our faces to the ground, bowing to the wrong things because he wants our lives full of light. Following Jesus does mean things look different to those who don't, but following Jesus is the best thing ever. Your life is fuller because God is always with you. He's, you always have an encourager, a friend, a helper and a counsellor no matter what. Life throws your way. You have a new way to live, a way that shines to others and blesses those around you. So why not lift your head up and look to him? Why not, if you've never done that, accept Jesus and live your life with him forever today? Accepting Jesus to be your Lord and Saviour and finding eternal life, hope and joy takes one first step and then many that follow. Romans 10.9 says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I'm going to pray a prayer. That is the start of a lifelong journey of following Jesus and bowing down to him only. Not the things of this world. This is for anyone that wants to become a Christian. And this is for the first time today. So if you're ready to commit everything and follow God, why don't you pray this with me? Let me close our eyes. Father God, I thank you that you love me, that you made me, and that you saved me. And God, I'm sorry for the things that I've done wrong. I'm sorry for the way that I bow down to things that aren't you. And God, I pray that you would help me to follow you for the rest of my life. I accept you as my Lord and Saviour today. Amen.